Let me just uh, open up with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for tonight, God. I thank you, oh, Lord, that you are here, God. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life, Lord, and that you lead us and guide us and direct us in your ways and in your path, Father. And I just pray for this word tonight, God, that you just speak to us, Lord, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, Father, that we might know you better, Lord. We would know the things that you would have for us, Father God. Just challenge us and convict us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, that we might do your will in Jesus' mighty name. Tonight's sermon is called, titled, Love is Not Love. This is going to be good. You know it. Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 16. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So Paul is saying that the great requisite in love is this, that it be without hypocrisy. That means that it should be genuine, sincere, and pure. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about sugar and an artificial sweetener. And sugar is pure, pure cane sugar. It's, it's, it's a pure substance. It's a natural substance, right? It's easily accepted in the body, but people don't want the calories. And so they go to artificial sweeteners, right? Now an artificial sweetener, it can have the same taste as the sugar, but it does something different in the body, than sugar does. It actually tricks you into believing that you're getting sugar. But animal studies have shown that artificial sweeteners cause weight gain. And you think you're getting less calories, but no, because it's tricking your body into thinking you're really getting sugar, but you're not. So it causes weight gain, brain tumors, bladder cancer, diabetes, you're thinking about twice about your artificial sweetener, aren't you? Because <laughs> it triggers an insulin response. And there's many other health hazards. And I would say to you tonight that hypocritical love is artificial love. It might initially taste like the real thing, but it's dangerous. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus was telling us that the scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites because they taught the things of God, but they didn't do those things. And if they did the things, their hearts and their motives did not line up with their actions. They were hypocrites in that. And our actions 
must line up with our heart. They must be genuine. They cannot be artificial. They cannot just mimic the taste of the genuine. They must align with our heart. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. I'm going to skip around a little bit, right? He says, 20, and, and, uh, if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, in verses 21, 22, he says, You have heard that it was said, those of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, meaning you fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Interesting. 27 and 28, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and to him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the, and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the Lord is telling us that our motives of our heart now matter. And and we've said this before. You know, people people are like, I'm under grace, I can live this way, I can do this way. And I'm like, I don't know if you guys understand, but the new covenant is a higher calling than the old covenant. First Peter one twenty two says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love, so he said, in genuine love, the real deal of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Let love be without hypocrisy. So Paul proceeds here to stir up the exercise of grace and the discharge of duties, right, that are common to the members of the church. And he begins with love because this is the cement of the saints and the bond of perfectness. Without love, all the gifts that we have received or the profession of our faith that we make, or the works that we do are of no benefit without love. We're just clanging, noisy cymbals. We're gongs. We're instruments just sounding about. First John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But what is love? Because Love is not love, as the world says. So this is, uh, uh, here is the word love, agape. And we know, if you know in the Greek, there's different words for love. Here, specifically, is agape, agape love, which is a sacrificial kind of love of the will and purpose. It is not an emotional love. It's not a feeling-based love. 
And so here to be taken the most comprehensive sense that love to God and others is to be without hypocrisy. It must be genuine, not artificial. Love to God should be with our heart, soul, and mind. Otherwise, the fear of him and obedience to him will only be outward, formal, customary, and hypocritical. Love to our Lord should be with sincerity, where it's right, true, and genuine. And love to one another should not be in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth with the purity of our heart. The love professed to others should never be through a fear of man or desire to please men, but honest, upright, and sincere. So then, how can we be sure that our love is true and not hypocritical love? Paul goes on to tell us, he says, abhor that which is evil. So he said, love cannot be hypocritical Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. This is a very, very clear definition of genuine love. You must love what God loves and what is good and hate what God hates and calls evil. He says, abhor that which is evil. Now this word abhor here is a very, very strong word. In the strongest sense that do not only avoid evil, but hate it as you should hate hell itself. This is the very, these are very emphatic words, he says. He who is without the hatred of evil does not really love good. First John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. This word here again is agape love. So he says you can agape God and you can agape the world, but you can't do both. You can agape the world and you can agape God, but you can't have both at the same time. He said if you agape the world, the love, that agape love of the Father is not in you. Okay? So he says, abhor that which is evil. That means we are to hate sin. Sin is evil. Both in its principle and its actions. We hate what God hates. We abhor anything that is hateful to God and contrary to his nature. We are to abhor the transgression of his righteous law. The word here, I'm going to tell you again, is the greatest aversion imaginable. It's a turning away from it. It is loathsome, loathsome, detestable, and abominable. We are to hate it with a horror. That's what that word means. 1 Corinthians 13.6, it says, so this is love. And you know the love chapter, because everybody reads it at the weddings. And they love. And I'm like, well, it's, that's not what it's for. But okay, read it at your wedding if you want. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Iniquity is sin or lawlessness, but rejoices in the truth. Proverbs 8, 7. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. It's a very hatred to my lips. Wickedness, evil. Psalm 119, 104. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. 
I'm showing you a lot of scripture here because there's quite a bit of places that the Bible gives witness to this. The Bible witnesses to itself. When you see something two or three places, the Lord says, I'm in the midst of that. Means, I agree with that. Amos 5.15. Hate evil, love good. There it is. Hate evil, love good. Hate evil, love good. Hebrews 1.9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This was a prophecy that was said of Jesus. This was the reason for his anointing was that he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. So herein lies the great problem of today. Christians are not only tolerating evil, but celebrating it. There's a lack of courage and a lack of the fear of the Lord that's been traded for a fear of man. And Satan has called Christians to attack and devour one another instead of focusing our attack on the spiritual wickedness in high places. People attack those preaching goodness and truth. And many cause strife and division when the preacher teaches what the word of God says about things like divorce or lying or sexual immorality. Yet the word says we are to hate evil and the evil way. There are things that we are to hate. Psalm 97.10, you who love the Lord hate evil. You who love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. That's the word of God. Amen. We are to hate evil. Am I making this clear? I feel like people are like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the words make it clear, yeah. We're not called to make peace with evil. We're not called to make peace with evil. We're not called to befriend evil. We're not called to tolerate evil. We're not called to ignore evil and brush it under the rug. We're not called to expose our children to evil and call it education That should have been my end. Yeah. <laughs> In closing, <laughs> we're called to hate it. Stand against all evil with boldness and truth with authority in Christ that we've been given. Folks, Jesus did not sacrifice his life for our sins so we could partner with Satan. And here's an area where we tolerate sin. Parents tolerate sin in their children and make excuses for them, calling it love. They excuse their sin and justify their disobedience and say, oh, but they have a good heart. Well, you're doing them a huge disservice, and at the same time, you're disobeying the word of the Lord. This is artificial love. This is artificial It's a partnering with evil. And I see many parents putting their children in positions of ministry when their kids are still living in their sins. 
This is very common in the church. And parents, you would, be, you would do well to remember Eli who was destroyed and taken from the priesthood because he allowed his rebellious sons to serve in the temple of God and profane that which was holy. We would do well to remember that. So Paul goes on and he says, not only are we to hate evil, there's another counterpart to this. We are to love what is good. Yeah. So there's, 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 there's two parts to this. We have to hate evil, but we have to love what is good. And this word means cleave to what is good. Some things say cling to what is good. The word signifies be glued to. That's what it means, be glued to. Things that are glued together are hard to separate. And I think about uh, take two pieces of paper and you put glue all over the two pieces of paper. After they dry, you, you can't hardly separate them. I mean, they start ripping apart when you do that. So he says, this is the same word that's used of the union and conjunction between a man and wife. So in Ephesians 5.31, where it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. It means be glued, be glued to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh because man and woman become one flesh. So he's saying then, you, be, you need to become one flesh with what is good. You need to be so glued to what is good. Be glued to that which is good. We're, we're to be glued to what? To what? To God, who is infinitely good who is good in his nature and his works. We cleave unto him, cleave unto his will, cleave unto his ways and his worship, cleave unto Jesus, the good shepherd of our souls and our only savior and redeemer. Cleave unto the lamb that is befalled wherever he goes. Cleave to the Holy Spirit after whom we should walk and not after the flesh. Be glued to the church of God. Assembling with whom should not be forsaken. Be glued to the gospel of peace and the truths of God's word and hold them fast. Cleave to every good work to which we should always be ready and careful to maintain and follow. Love is not love if we are hypocritical and not loving from a pure heart. Love is not love if we claim to know him and continue to live in our sins. Love is not love if we flatter with our mouth but have hatred in our heart towards our brother. Love is not love if we serve the whole church but don't hold firmly to the truth of God's word. Love is not love if we care more about a person's physical happiness than we care about the eternity of their soul. Isaiah prophesied of a day that evil would be called good. We've heard this, Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And folks, we are here now. We are in the day when people are calling good evil and evil good. We are here. And we are to have nothing to do with evil, but cleave to what is good with all our might. So once, once we got that settled, Paul then tells us how to express this true and genuine love in verses 10 through 16. I'm going to read that again for you. Oh, it's up there. Okay, never mind. Okay. I can look at the... What we call it? The Sky Bible? Okay. Be, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, 
rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So that's, that's a pretty big list there of things that we are to be doing that come from a heart that's been changed. So how do we truly fulfill this list of things? Because when I look at these, some of these seem so far away from my natural ability to do this. How do you bless those who curse you with a pure heart? With a pure heart. We're, our motives matter, see? We're, we're under the new covenant. It means my motives now, they matter. Flattery is out. Flattery is not a good thing. Telling somebody something and, and, and pumping them up and having a different thing in your heart, not good. It's hypocritical. So how do we do this? Because, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I can, I can, I can serve anybody uh, and, and no matter what they've done to me because I have the ability to, to detach my real feelings from what I'm doing. And part of that is just because I grew up in survival mode. I grew up in survival mode. I grew up as an, uh, a child uh, in, an alcoholic, in an alcoholic home. And so I was able to um, detach from my feelings. You know, if you look at the uh, characteristics of a child that grew up in an alcohol home, and one of them is you don't, feel, you don't trust, you don't feel. You know, you're not allowed to feel. And so you don't have these feelings. So I'm very good at hiding my true feelings. I'm very good at this. I'm a master at this. But that's not true love. That's not true love. That's why I say you, you can serve all day long. And you, you, I mean, you can go serve the world. You can do good works for God and you can still go to hell. Because your heart's not right. Because the New Testament deals with man's heart. So we got to get our heart right. And I've had to learn how to align my heart with my actions. I also have a fear of rejection and abandonment, and this keeps me from truly loving and serving people. And I isolate because I don't want to get close to people, because if I get close to people, they might leave me and abandon me. So these are deep issues that have been in my heart that I've had to walk through. That I've had to bring before the Lord, that I've had to sit under the power of the Lord. Because folks, you, you can, there's a lot of things out there that help you cope with things. But the only thing that can change the heart is the power of God. There's a lot of systems and stuff that will help you cope. There's a lot of coping mechanisms out there. But the only thing that will bring a true healing in your life and the ability to overcome and a change of heart is the power of God. And so if you're not in prayer and if you're not sitting under the power of God and letting God work on you and heal your heart, you're going to go through life bleeding on everybody. And you may go through life coping because you can have coping skills, but you'll never truly overcome. And you'll never have that heart change that God wants you to have because motives matter. Motives matter. It matters. And I, 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 I mean, when I first got saved, I spent hours in prayer. I would spend three hours a day in prayer. 
three hours. And, and memorizing and reading the word of God, renewing my mind to God's word, right? And if you go back in Romans here, and, and Pastor Jay preached on this, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? This is the whole thing of how we even get to this place, how we love and how we overcome and how we're able to do the things with a clear motive. He said, you have to first put yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice, and then you have to renew your mind. You can't renew your mind until you've become a sacrifice. But once you put yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice, then you begin to renew your mind. And that's the only way to overcome. And that's the only way to overcome past trauma and pains, these things that hinder me in my love walk. Because I know that my heart matters. I can't sit there and do something for somebody and serve them and say I'm loving them when inside I'm like, I don't really like you. I think you're a big jerk. I don't want anything to do with you. But I, and, and seriously, I can, I can serve anybody. I put my head down and I can work hard and I can do a lot of things and I can have hatred in my heart towards them. And what does God say? Artificial. That's artificial. God demands that love not be hypocritical. And we can only love like this when we do what he tells us what to do. And the way and manner in which he says. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now this word meek, I don't think most people realize what this word means. It is not. It is not in that sense of meek as a mouse. If you look in the dictionary, it translates as quiet and gentle and submissive. But the Greek word here is much weightier, and it fits this passage of love that Paul tells us. It fits it very perfectly because meekness is patience in the reception of injury. Isn't that good? It's patience in the in the reception of injuries. It is neither meanness nor a surrender of rights, nor is it cowardice. But it is the opposite of sudden anger, of malice, or of long-harbored vengeance. When we look at Christ, you know, Christ insisted on his right when he said, if I have done evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? In John 18, 23. And Paul asserted his right in Acts 16.37 when he said, They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? Oh, no. Let them come themselves and fetch us out. And yet Christ was the very model of meekness, and so was Paul. No one endured more wrong or uh, suffered more patiently than Jesus. Yet the Savior and the Apostle Paul were not raging men flying off the handle. They both received injury patiently. They did not press their rights nor trample down the rights of others to secure their own. That's what meekness means. Meekness is the reception of injuries with the belief that God will vindicate us. Romans 12, 19 says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. We have no authority to take God's place. He will do what he promised he will do. I remember um, years ago in the warehouse, 
and nobody here, it's nobody here and nobody knows this person. (laughs) There was a a lady that um, got mad at Pastor Matt and I for something with her kid. You want to get people mad at you? Kids, money. Do something to their kids they don't like? Ask for money. You want to create a fence? Kids, money. Every single time. So she went around and she was calling up everybody in the church, telling them that Pastor Matt and I were misusing the finances, which was funny at that point because I don't even know if... There wasn't even there wasn't even any finances to take advantage of, so it was. I mean, it's pretty funny to me. And uh, you know, I was and we were distraught. We didn't. We we had probably seventy five people at this point, and I was distraught. I didn't know what to do. People, you know, people said she's calling everybody and she's telling them these things, and I'm just like, it's a lie, it's a lie. So you know, I called up one person and I said, I said, will you please? I said she's calling everybody. Will you please just not listen to her? And this person said to me, I'll listen to whoever I want to listen to. And so I, I was just like distraught. You know, I didn't know what to do. Um, we lost about a third of the people on that after that. So we took a big, the church took a big hit, but I, but you know, it taught me a lesson. I'm, I'm not to defend myself. So a couple years ago when the same thing kind of happened again, we didn't defend ourselves. We didn't say any, we didn't say anything to anybody. And I had even people come in and asking me of like, why aren't you guys defending yourself? And why don't you guys say anything? It's because it's not my place. God is my defender. I had learned, I had learned meekness. Took me a while, but I learned meekness. Meekness produces peace. It is proof of true greatness of soul. And it comes from a heart too pure to be moved by the, even the slightest insult. And meekness will cause us to look upon those who offer insults to us with pity instead of malice. You know, when we look in the world, we really find nothing approaching the virtues of which Jesus spoke of in the Beatitudes. Instead of meekness, we find pride, ego, and arrogance. Most of our heartaches and a great many of our physical illnesses spring directly from our sins of pride, arrogance, resentfulness, unforgiveness, bitterness, malice, greed. These are a source of more human pain than all diseases that ever afflicted mortal flesh. Jesus gives us more than just words of wisdom. They are the essence of truth. Blessed are the meek. He's not giving us his opinion. His word is law. Meekness and pride cannot inhabit the same person. And I want you to think about this. A lot of the pain in our life has risen from someone speaking badly of us. If you would be honest, a lot of the pain in our lives is because someone said something about us that wasn't true or they spoke badly about us or they were gossiping about us or they slandered us in some way. Tozer said this, and I love this quote. As long as you set yourself up as a little God to which you must be loyal, there will be those who will delight to offer affront to your idol. The prideful heart seeks to shield itself from every insult and bad opinion. The fleshly man continually challenges every word spoken against them and cringes under every criticism. It is vanity and ego to even think that everything is about you. (laughs) 
Why do, why, is, why do you take everything as a slight anyways? Why, why is everything a slight? Why do you always think it's about you? Why is everything so personal? Right? It's, it's, who is that lady that's saying, um, you're so vain, you probably think this song is about you? <laughs> Carly Simon. Was that her name? Carly Simon? I put, I, put that on Facebook, I put that on Facebook one time. I said, you're so vain, you probably think this post is about you. <laughs> but we do, right? You read that? Oh, that's about me. Well, why is that? I, I ain't got time to sit and write posts about you guys. <laughs> I, I, you know, if, 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 I'm, if I'm trying to formulate a, a sermon, I want to hear from God. I ain't got time to pick out everybody. Yeah. I mean, we've actually had people leave our church that said, that sermon was about me. I'm like, well, it was probably for you. <laughs> I don't know if it was about you. It was for you. Right. I, I don't got time yeah. to, to sit there and try to formulate a sermon to preach to somebody. I, I don't even know what half of y'all are doing. Not half. I don't even know what it probably... Most of you are going on in your life. I know... A few of the ladies, what's going on in a few of the ladies' lives. That's about it. So, so when the word comes forth, you have to say, dude, what's going on in me? You might just have an ego problem you need to deal with. Yeah. Do you think everything's about you and everything's a slight towards you and you, you, everything is like, I got to cause strife and division because you're talking about me. Well, who cares anyways? Yeah. Old Testament scholar Dennis Kinlow said this, Satan disguises submission to himself under the roofs of personal autonomy. He never asked us to become his servants. Never once did the serpent say to Eve, I want to be your master. The shift in commitment is never from Christ to evil. It is always from Christ to self. And instead of his will, self-interest now rules and what I want reigns. That's the essence of sin. Why do you think scripture continually declares put to death the flesh? Put to death the flesh. Put to death the flesh. Because sin is rooted in glorifying and seeking to honor ourself. Jesus said, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from only God? And what Jesus was teaching here is in a very alarming doctrine that the desire for honoring among men makes belief impossible. If you're seeking honor from other men to honor yourself, he says, your belief is impossible then. Whoo, that's some words. Why don't you dwell on that a little bit? Draw on that. Charles Spurgeon said this, brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him for you're far worse than he thinks you to be. in my notes because I read it constantly if he charges you falsely on some point yet be satisfied for if he knew you better he might change the accusation and you would be no gainer by the correction (laughs) if you have your moral portrait painted and it's ugly be satisfied for it only needs a few blacker touches and it would be still nearer the truth I need, I need that tattooed, like, right here. <laughs> Backwards so I can look at it in the mirror. <laughs> See, the meek does not care who's greater than them. Because they decided long ago that the esteem of this world is not worth the effort. 
The meek man is not a mouse with a sense of inferiority. The meek, in truth, is bold as a lion, but has stopped deceiving themselves and accepted God's estimate of their life. The meek one has evaluated himself soberly. Pastor Kevin preached it last week. See, I know I'm weak and helpless, but at the same time, I know that I'm more important than the angels. In myself, I am nothing, but in God, I am everything. I know full well that the world will never see me as God sees me, and I have stopped caring. I can rest content to allow God to esteem my value. The meek are at peace and are happy to let God defend them. The old struggle to defend ourself is over. The mink does not pretend to be something they are not, but is content in being a child of God. You know, and, and I'm here at last, free at last, free at last. I'm here at last. It's taking me, maybe I'm too old to care anymore. <laughs> but nevertheless, I rest content in my Lord's estimation of me. If, if I please my Lord and I please my husband, what others think of me or how someone else views me makes no difference to me. Yeah. Folks, meekness is the key to blessing those who curse you. It's the key to truly loving those who despitefully use you. Because it's easy to love those that love you back. It's easy to do good for people that are nice and kind. But that's not what we're called. We're called to love those that are not nice to us. We're called to bless those that curse us. In your own strength, we can do nothing. But in his strength and in his power, we can rest peaceful and content. And we can truly do the all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's, let's pray. Russ, will you please play? to give you an opportunity just to respond you know if the Lord spoke anything to you or anything ministered to you tonight if you're still dealing with self or ego or arrogance of seeking honor from men if you have a hard time forgiving those and loving those that that, that curse you if you have if, if that, tell God he's so good he's so faithful he's so wonderful he's so awesome he will give you the power to overcome forgive those that have hurt you by the power of God it's possible all things are possible to overcome you can bless those who persecute you just let the Holy Spirit minister to you that for a minute if you're online watching whatever the Lord ministered to you whatever the Holy Spirit spoke to you let this be a time of reflection. Let the Lord speak that to your heart. Whatever need, whatever it is, folks, we want to be genuine. We don't want to be artificial. We don't want to be hypocritical. If you have a fear of man, tell that to the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to just call on him tonight. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you as a Savior. I want to turn away from the world and turn away from my sins. He will come rushing in. He seeks and saves that which was lost. And he's ready to transform you into a child of God. 
don't just submit to say, Lord, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Forgive me my sins, God. I'm going to run towards you and run towards the cross. The Father waits with open arms to receive you. If you've been far away from the Lord, it's not too late. Today is the day to return. He's waiting for you to return. You already know what to do. Don't worry about what anybody thinks about you. Don't don't worry about what anybody has said about you or what it's going to look like. Just get up out of your slop and run back to the Father. He's waiting. You do not need to perish. The Lord made a way out. Lord, we thank you for this word. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, God, that we can truly love like you tell us to, God. That we can be genuine, God. That we can have pure hearts, Lord. Teach us meekness, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Transform us that we would be the people that you want us to be, God. Good, obedient, Thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.